Welcome to Sonic's Flight, the podcast devoted to all things Sonics. Sonic's Flight is a monthly podcast discussing current events, news, and topics of interest to the Sonics community. We aim to entertain and educate builders and pilots of Sonics aircraft designs, inspiring them to complete and operate their aircraft safely and efficiently. Welcome to the Sonics Flight Podcast. This is episode number 44, Cockpit Comfort. Comfort in the cockpit is important, and it really goes a long way to enhancing the flying experience. We'll cover our favorite techniques for heating and cooling in the cockpit, and provide those creature comforts that keep it fun. My name is Jeff Schultz, builder and pilot of Sonic 604 and Sonic's 1374. Joining me, as always, my two good flying buddies, Gary Motley and John Gillis. Gary is a longtime pilot. He's a former CFI and a multi-time airplane builder. Gary, how you doing tonight? Oh, doing very well, Mr. Jeff. Very well. Glad to be with you again. Good deal. Good deal. And John Gillis. John is best known for his custom touches on his YX, including his famous speed cow, his tilt back canopy, and his tow brakes. John, what have you been up to? Doing a lot of soaring lately. Um, you know, you get that the new bug in aviation and you get your license and then suddenly your focus is less on sonics and more on soaring. Well, you got to get it in before it gets really cold because that'll be the transition between soaring and YXB conversion, right? Right. Uh, last weekend was what we all in our club said was probably the last weekend for soaring. So the season is over. Now I can focus on sonics. I'm starting to feel like the odd man out, although I've done glider flights. I don't have a rating yet like you two weasels do. Gary, I flew to 17,000 feet last Sunday in a plane that had no engine. I know. I and saw some of your Facebook posts pretty cool. My Facebook posts were awesome, weren't they? They were. It made you really envious, didn't it? Not particularly, but they were pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> Well, Gary, you know, uh, you're always looking for something new to tackle, so there you go. There's the next the next big thing for you. Yeah, and I even saw a little blurb about possibly a, a light sport balloon, hot air balloon, too, that might be coming to the market, so who knows? Oh, I want to ride in that. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I just want to ride in your Zenith, so. Well, it, it's coming. <laughs> All right, well, let's get to it. We have no guests this episode, so instead we are going to do a roundtable discussion on this cockpit comfort topic. So with that, when I think about this topic, it really kind of comes down into four areas. We'll break these down one at a time. So the elements of cockpit comfort that we're going to discuss here, the ergonomics of the cockpit, the ventilation and the heating, and then lastly, all those convenience items. So taking the first one, cockpit ergonomics. So when I think about the ergonomics, the, the first thing about you know my own airplane is um, the upholstery has a lot to do with how you fit and how you feel in the cockpit. The design and the layout of it, the thickness of your seat cushions, the material that you make it out of, where you put the pockets and stuff like that, the material you put on the glare shield, and do things slide off of that because it's really slick and slippery, or is it a light tint, and it reflects back up on your on your canopy. Uh, all those things make a big deal. So, Gary, why don't you start us off? When, when you were thinking back to the ergonomics of your Sonics and what worked and, and kind of what you, what you maybe you should have done on the next time around, what are those things that come to mind? 
Well, I mean, I think one of the first things I did, though, is I originally did mine as a dual stick. Uh, after flying it for a while, I really decided, well, I wasn't going to take a second person, and I converted to the center stick. So, you know, ergonomically, that helped me a little bit because I always felt like I was a little bit too far jammed over to the side, you know, when you have the dual sticks and you're sitting on just one side or the other. So I really like that big boy couch thing by doing the center stick and then just straddling and putting a, a, my feet on the outside rudder pedals to make everything work. And that really worked pretty well. Uh, the, the thing I noticed mostly about the Sonics bench seat, though, uh, for me in particular, my, just to, I'll fess up, I have one leg that's a little bit shorter than the other. And I had to adjust my rudder pedals uh, to accommodate that so I'd have a little bit better use of the rudder and, and be able to control it a little bit better. But I really liked a lumbar cushion. Uh, and I used a separate cushion for that. And that changed uh, some of my seating geometry, held the back for the long, long distance flights that I like to do. So uh, when uh, if I were going to redo my seating once again, I would really incorporate something a little bit more fixed for a lumbar support. And because uh, I, you know, me, I like to fly for hours. As long as I got gas in there, I'll just keep flying the thing. And uh, when I was burning, you know, 3.2 gallons per hour at my altitudes, uh, you know, that's quite a few hours. So that's one thing I would certainly like to do. Um, yeah, that's something I did yeah. on mine, Gary. Um, I, I use relatively thin seat cushions. Most of my upholstery is only two inches thick. And then some of that is memory foam, so it kind of squishes down. But I did put an additional two-inch lumbar across the bottom of my, my seat back upholstery. And I find that very comfortable. It doesn't have to be super thick, but a little bit really does go a long way to help out. Yeah, it didn't take much more either than, than just a couple inches as well. And I thought it made a dramatic improvement for long-distance flying. Well, the, one of the other things that I did on mine... Everybody is familiar with the, the seat pan that sits down inside the fuselage. Well, the seat pan doesn't go all the way to the sidewalls. And so the normal tendency is to have your upholstery match the dimensions of your seat pan. And you have these two little gaps on either side of that seat pan. Just a little simple thing. You get a lot of air that comes out the wing root areas and, and it blows up through the stick, the, the hole in the seat pan. It blows up around the stick and it blows up on those two side gaps. So when you're talking about staying comfortable and reducing some of that, that gap, if you have your seat cushion go all the way to the sidewall, you close those off. has the added benefit of if you drop your pen in flight, it doesn't fall under the seat where you can't get to it. Well, I, I still had a tendency to lose things, although the upholstery that I, I redid for when I converted to the single stick did go from side to side. So that wasn't so much of an issue, but sure enough, you know, the seat belts tend to work their ways down there, and anything else that you drop always seems to go down there as well. I know what you're meaning about that draft. Not only was it coming up around the stick, but those wing roots uh, in particular uh, get a lot of backdraft. And that's what I've always found amazing. As you're flying, you know, 130 miles an hour from and through the air, uh, it apparently is this that you have a negative pressure in the in the cabin area because of the canopy and so forth, and it just sucks that air all the way back from the tail all the way to the front of the airplane again. It's just like a continuous cyclone all the time. Right. Um, yeah, so, Gary, you ought to see that with the Jabiru when you're doing 150 miles an hour. Ah, <laughs> uh, here we go again. You know. <laughs> and, and Gary, I can confirm that because when I flip on my smoke tank, I start sucking smoke. Out from the tail cone, and it comes forward into the cockpit. It's sucking it right yeah, out of the yeah. tail cone, right up into this in the middle. Mm. Well, John, just to let you know, I have actually flown my Sonics faster than 154 miles per hour, 
but it was downhill, of course. <laughs> you, you, you were going downhill, and you were screaming the entire time. So you, you know, we don't we don't know how you really could evaluate the uh, <laughs> the the effect. <laughs> uh, very calmly and methodically, as all my flying is, John. So, John, you you went through a couple of mods on your uh, interior seat cushions and all that. Describe what you think works well when you do your upholstery. Well, like Gary, I um, and primarily because of Gary, I converted also to a center stick uh, because I found myself flying uh, solo most of the time. And so I like flying uh, center stick, which with your feet on the outer, outer rudder pedals. Um, my, I do have a gap between the seat pan. I, I built my upholstery to, uh, to match the seat pan. And so I do have that two-inch gap on either side, which is a great place to find all the stuff during your annual that you lost during your cross countries, uh, because it, it will work its way down through there and, and into the into the uh, the pan below the seat. Um, it is drafty, and I think it's right uh, to uh, to build your upholstery to to kind of cover that gap. Um, I understand the B models have side panels that kind of fill up that gap. I don't know yet because I haven't received my, my B model kit yet. Um, and I'll probably have to redo my seat, at least the uh, the bottom seat cushion on my plane when I convert to, to handle that. A couple other things I think you want to think about. If you are doing your own upholstery and you go into a local uh, auto upholster or someplace like that, the natural tendency, these guys, they, they do this for a living, but they work on automotive seats or motorcycle or boat seats. They have a lot more room to work with. They're going to make you a beautiful, comfortable seat that's going to be three times as thick as you really need it to be. So be really careful about enlisting professional help that is not used to working on recreational vehicles or airplanes, stuff like that, because you're going to get something that's going to be too big. You're going to run out of headroom. Now, I, I took my uh, my stuff to an automotive, uh, just like you say, but I gave them the the space, whatever that that blue space stuff is, and said, "This is I want you to put this material on this," so they didn't have the ability to to boof it up with other things. You know, I think it also boils down to the choice too between basically the two choices of fabric versus leather or leather-like material. And although I, I really agree that the leather stuff can look really gorgeous, especially with some of the toughening they can do, I'm, I'm personally not a real fan for it. One, I, I find it gets very, very cold in the wintertime, and it also gets very, very hot in the summertime. Uh, so I still, I, I did cloth. I would always encourage people just to think about just doing cloth. I think it breathes better. It's less temperature variabilities to it. It just makes for a much more overall comfortable experience. Yeah, I agree. I have a, a synthetic leather in mine. And although it's durable and it's easy to clean, you're right. It does get warm, especially when there's direct sun coming through the canopy. It'll get very toasty. Well, in reverse, in the cold, it's very cold. And if you have memory foam underneath it, that becomes a brick until it warms up. Yeah, it's just like your headset seals, you know, initially, because most of the stuff now is some type of memory foam. Uh, very comfortable after it's warmed up when you first put it on when it's 30 degrees. It is. It's very, very hard until you get a few minutes there and soften that stuff up. It'd be the same thing underneath your butt, too. 
Uh, you know, the other nice thing, too, about sitting center stick, uh, especially since we're always a little limited anyway in sonic space, that gives me two good side areas there. And, uh, boy, I found that I can put something up there, either a small uh, flight bag and or a little small cooler. You can turn both of those into kind of a semi-armrest thing. So you're really cradled and everything. And then you got easier access to the things that you might need in flight as well. So I always found that was a, uh, an added plus as well. Well, Gary, you know, two 12-packs of beer. <laughs> make perfect armrests and so when you go to rec law you're you're already set when you land well you know that's extra weight and now that i know i've got uh, resources on site i don't <laughs> tend to do that much anymore <laughs> and uh also you don't want to be tapping into your survival beer in your in your emergency kit so yeah that really sucks you know you think you got everything set and you, you actually land someplace you don't want to land and you've already slurped through it and then what are you going to do <laughs> Yeah, I know. It, it, you know, we all have to make our own uh, calls on this and, <laughs> yeah. and, and, and show some self-restraint. Yeah, too many choices, too many choices. Well, there's a couple other things that I want to just point out. Don't forget about those little slivers of upper firewall at the very front end of your cockpit. Those things are highly reflective, and they will throw a glare back on your windscreen. So you got to do something to close those off. Paint them black, put a little bit of material up there. Otherwise, you're going to have these little crescent-shaped reflections everywhere you, you look. Yeah, I did that same thing, too, when I redid my uh, glare shield, too, is I also incorporated put fabric all the way up there. You're right to try to seal out as much of that stuff as you could. And again, I went uh, very, very dark colors, trying to keep as much reflection off of that canopy because I found it really doesn't take much and it does significantly decrease your amount of visibility and being able to spot traffic and other things like you know, like simple things like airports even when you start to get some of that glare and reflection off of the off of the glare shield right right I, I painted my I I know I understand what you guys did with the fabric I just did uh, flat black or uh, uh, a rustoleum kind of a black uh, flat paint. And that takes it all away. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, I just, uh, a lot of times people will just forget about that little sliver up there. So I want to make sure people have that in mind. The other thing is, um, if you're going to go through all the hassle of doing upholstery, think about where you want your pockets. You know, map pockets, cell phone pockets, all that kind of stuff. They're easy to add when you're designing it. Very hard to go back and add them after the fact. So just think that through. A spot I've always liked and really wanted to do something with is that step off in front of the, the main spar, uh, right behind the torque tube there. But it really is not a lot of, a lot of space between the torque tube and that wall there. Um, I made some pockets when I had a mall and put them underneath the seat right there so you could just reach between your legs and grab things. So I wasn't really able to do any good fancy pockets there. But I have certainly found that that torque tube makes a pretty good attachment point down there if you need to strap something kind of bulky and relatively heavy. Um, it keeps it forward in your CG. It's underneath your legs where you never notice it, uh, and really keeps things pretty secure. So don't forget, to, you know, that's a great spot to really tie something down if you need to, as long as it's not so tight it restricts your flaps. You know, Gary, following on that, my wife, when I was flying with her, she said she would, she wanted something to hold on to while in the airplane. You know, kind of like a, one of those uh, you know, panic grab bars. And I just put a, uh, a one-inch uh, nylon strap around the torque tube, tied it in a loop, so that when she was flying with me, she had something to hold on to. And that, that made her a lot more uh, comfortable in the airplane. 
Yeah, it could for a lot of people, something simple like that. And we know it doesn't really do them any good, but just having that uh, that grasp on something can really Yeah, that was it anxiety. was all psychological. Oh, absolutely sure. Uh, you know, she's held in with the seatbelts, but that gives her a little extra feeling of control. Yeah. And Bob Micah, he put a grab bar on his panel on the passenger side exactly for his wife. And uh, I've flown with Bob a number of times. I love that thing. You just kind of reach up there and you can steady yourself. And you're right. Psychologically, it's very comforting just to have something to rest your hand on and hold on to. And if you've ever flown with Bob, you need all the comfort you can get. (laughs) Especially on his landings. (laughs) (laughs) Which one? The first or the second or third? If anyone goes back to some of the... uh, the landing gear episodes when we did with Bob, he, he kind of enumerated all, all replacements he's had to do. So there must be something going on there. Well, it's because he flies out of some really rough areas. And, yeah. and you know, you know, Bob flies, you know, if he flies once a week, he lands three times. <laughs> <laughs> like you. Well, yeah, you know, um, we all had our crazy youth, but I'm, uh, I'm much more sophisticated now. You know, if there's something we could really do as far as upholstery and up around that glare shield, it's too bad we can't find some way to sew in a water trap diaper of some sort to catch all the water that's going to come down between the windshield and the canopy when you go through rain and dribble down across your instrument panel. That would be just a great place to have like a two-inch strip of really extra absorbent water-catching basin of some sort yeah you know gary i do keep a towel when i do my cross countries i keep a towel handy to lay over my panel for that situation exactly well i carried a towel too but it'd be nice to have something already built in that didn't look really tacky but let's be something for our listeners to think about and come up with a good solution for that yeah so the last thing on ergonomics that that comes to my mind where you put your headset jacks. So think about where you're going to put them. You know, you could, it's a tight cockpit. And if you put them smack dab in the middle of the panel, your cords are going to be laying in your lap or possibly tangled up in your stick. So think about where it's going to be convenient. I put mine behind on the, the bulkheads, the front turtle deck former bulkheads. That seems to work pretty well. You got to be careful that they don't interfere with the shoulder straps on the seatbelt. But think about that. Think about where your cords are going to be laying and how to tidy up your cockpit. Yeah, that's a great one. Uh, I I did two jacks in mine, of course, because I had the dual sticks. Uh, But the one I used the most was the one was all the way far, far to the right of of the sub panel. Um, Because that reason is try to keep all those cords out of the way. And then also being on the far right side, too, as I put my headset away, it cleared all the path for, for me to be able to get in and out of the plane without tripping all over the cords as well. I put mine up on the glare shield um, primarily because the harness I bought from MGL, they were fairly short. So um, they're on both left and right side, just above the panel. And I find... I like them because it keeps my wiring up on on top of the panel and I can just take my headset off and throw it up on the, on the glare shield and it's out of the way. So, but it's, it's all personal choice. I don't, I don't like the idea of having it behind me. So what did you guys do with the baggage compartment? I basically use Sonics's. Uh, they had a little baggage sling that they had made as part of the upholstery kit that you could get. Um, I use that. I also built stiffeners on the bottom of that, too, that I integrated into the, 
the fuselage itself um, so that when you actually did set something relatively heavy down there, you actually had additional support underneath the baggage sling. Um, there was also a great spot then, as you looked at, uh, behind the seat panel, uh, and on the forward side of the baggage sling, it was a good spot to put a couple of pockets as well. That was fairly easy for you to be able to reach back and grab something because you kind of knew where it was going to be um, if you needed to fetch something out rather than having it rattle around all the baggage area. Did anybody else do anything similar to that? Well, what I did was I bought two cheap uh, milk crate storage uh, plastic, you know, uh, bins, put Velcro on the bottom, and I have those two right on the, the floor pan. Um, and so I throw all my stuff in there, and they don't rattle around, they don't move around, and it's uh, pretty clean and I think pretty light. It's a pretty simple solution. And what I did, uh, I took some 16,000 sheet aluminum, and I framed in the baggage compartment. And that allowed me to put my sidewall upholstery or my uh, my insulation on the sidewall to cut down the oil canning and the tail cone. It's a vertical panel that protects the rudder cables so they don't tangle up in any of the cargo. And they sit about maybe an inch and a half off of the skin. And then another one that blocks off the baggage compartment from the rest of the tail cone so things don't slide too far to the rear. And I really like that. It's fully framed in. Nothing gets lost. It can't move or shift. And you just have to have a little guard around the elevator push rod so that nothing tangles into the, the push rod itself. I'm very happy with that. It was fairly lightweight, I think, two pounds. Does that affect your uh, your ability to do any inspections or do you, can you remove it or is it kind of – you have to work around it? Well, I can't, I can't easily take those out of there. Um, it doesn't obscure anything except the rudder pedal cables and the fair leads are accessed from the other side so you can still get to them. So there's no real okay. reason to get behind him, I guess is what I'm saying. All right, well, shifting gears to um, ventilation. So let's talk about the things that we recommend for getting plenty of fresh air ventilation in your cockpit. And as we know, in the summertime, it can get pretty stifling when you're on the ground and you can't get any kind of taxi velocity to get some fresh air in there. And John, save your comments about your tilt-back canopy for the end. <laughs> <laughs> well, what about those NACA vent placements on the original Legacy series? I, I put those in. Did anybody else try to put those in? No, those are those are my plane too. Um, the NACA vents do provide some flow, but as uh, you're on the ground, you don't have a great deal of flow across the airframe. You're not going to get a lot of air from those. Yeah, I got to throw it. I actually I, I felt they really weren't in the optimal space anyway. And I basically just closed mine up and I've never used them because I really wasn't getting much effect out of them. What I found really the most effective uh, are just those uh, uh, plexiglass scoops that you install um, in the front part of the, uh, the windshield uh, that, that really did the most as far as increasing ventilation through the cabin. Those are good for your face, but they're not good for your lower body or feet. And that's where I was having the problem with. I mean, I, I have both. I have the, the windshield scoops and I have the knack events from the plans. And the knack events on the plans are great when you're flying and you need to ventilate, you know, down your lower body area or underneath your panel. Um, and, and, and I use both of those. But uh, 
the uh, the upper vents don't help you much when your feet are are baking on the on the runway. Yeah, Gary. One of the things um, the the plans vents they don't have any sort of scoop that goes out into the airstream to deflect air in. No. So some people have modified it with a little flip out scoop that they just kind of you know and they open up the vent and they flip this scoop out and and it scoops more air in through that fuselage side scoop. Yeah. A great place to get those is from Vans Aircraft. They sell a set of those for the RV-10s. Right. It would be really easy to install and do exactly what you're talking about. Right. If you want to feed an eyeball vent, and that's what I do in my airplane. I have a couple of um, WhisperFlow eyeball vents. I use the Vans RV NACA vent kit, which includes a plastic molded diverging ramp that you bond to the inside of the fuselage. So you cut your NACA uh, hole in the side of the fuselage. You bond this thing or rivet it on, and then it attaches to a piece of scat tube that feeds your eyeball vent, and you can aim the eyeball vent or close it off. If you're going to do that, and I highly recommend it, I I love mine. If you're going to do that, don't put the vent where the plans show it. It's too low, and it's too close to the seat. You can't route your scat to the, tubing. To the panel to, to route the scat tubing, right? It needs to go forward. Right. So put it higher up on the fuselage side and as far forward uh, before you run into that next vertical stiffener member. So further forward and higher up, and that makes your routing to your scat tube a whole lot better for an eyeball vent. Yeah, I had the same problem too when I looked at it. And then some people have taken that same basic approach, but rather than have an eyeball located in the panel or on a little sub-panel bracket, they just take the NACA vent, they glue it to the sidewall, and then the, the eyeball vent is right there off of the vent itself. And so you have a really short couple inches, like a little standoff, and, and then there's the eyeball right there. And that's a good way to kind of slap a vent on the sidewall and get more ventilation. You can easily kind of aim it and close it off. That's exactly what I've done. And so you don't see it. You just kind of reach underneath and, and flip it when you want it to open. The the nice thing about those snap vents that you were talking about, Gary, if you yeah. decide later on that you need more ventilation, you get out your uh, abrasive a hole saw and you cut a hole the size for that thing and you snap them right in and you're done. And it's a super easy retrofit if you decide you need more ventilation. Yeah, and it's just a big hole saw is all it really is. It was pretty easy to do. It seems scary when you look at that hole saw and you look at that, uh, that Lexan, but it actually went through there pretty well. Of course, you got to smooth the edges off later on, but it, it, it does cut through really easy. Right. Yeah, Lexan's pretty easy to work with. The uh, the acrylic canopy is something I would not want to do that with. Yeah, definitely no, no, put I, them in the windscreen, not in the canopy. Yeah, you no know, success with that. Another thing, like we talked about this, it's not intuitive. You actually have like a, a negative pressure inside the cockpit. And so sometimes your vents aren't working well because – the, the air passing over the outside of your canopy is trying to suck air out. And so sometimes you need to draw a little bit of air through and opening up a hole in the tail cone can help you do that. And so I know several builders who have actually taken a louver and they'll put like an inspection panel with a louver back in the tail cone, like on the belly skin. And that allows more draw through the entire fuselage to get a better vent action in the summertime. And then in the winter, when you don't want that extra draw, you just change out the inspection panel and put a solid one on and and you reduce the amount of airflow. Yeah, well, the Sonics is a very drafty airplane anyway. With all the, uh, the canopy doesn't seal tight like an RV. And so you've got a lot of airflow anyway. Unless you were really, really tight on your tolerances. Yeah. 
A couple other things. Whatever you do, make sure that you can close them off, whether they're eyeball vents or the sidewall vents or the little scoops. You're going to want all the ventilation you can get in the summertime, but in the wintertime, you're going to want to close that draft off. So make sure that they seal up good or you have some way of blocking that airflow. Otherwise, again, it's going to be hard to stay warm in the winter. And then if you have an exposed vent, make sure you, you put some sort of screen in your, in your tubing uh, or over the inlet. Uh, you don't need to fly through a, you know, and pick up a bug that comes flying out your vent or a wasp in the cockpit or something like that. So some sort of screen in your tubing to keep insects from getting inside. All right. So um, taxi ventilation. Now we already alluded to this. When there's very little airflow, it's hard to get good cooling when you're on the ground. So John, you have a built-in solution with your tip back canopy, which gives you the ultimate in taxi ventilation. But if you don't have that, um, there are some ways you can make things run a little bit better. And Gary, what, what did you find worked well for staying cool when you're taxiing? Um, you, there's, well, first of all, the snap-out vents, I, I found actually did fairly well for me most of the time. Uh, but the second neat little trick I've seen, too, is being able to, uh, I'd have to think what you're going to call that piece, but basically the canopy lockdown device. I've, pe- I've seen people do extensions on those, vertical extensions, so that you can actually lock the canopy open about an inch or two while you're on the ground taxing, which I thought was a really slick idea to do as well. Especially for you, Jeff, when you were down in Mississippi, I bet you wish you had that. Yeah, um, I did it on the first Sonics. I did not do it on the second one, uh, and I kind of wished I had. Being able to raise that canopy up an inch or two and have a second notch in your attachment hook so you can kind of lock it in that, you know, a couple inches open, that does give you a lot more air as it kind of scoops in. Especially with a prop blast, yeah. Right. The The big thing is um, you got to make sure that while you're taxiing and the engine is running, that it can't vibrate open and then all of a sudden it releases and your canopy comes swinging all the way over and damages your canopy. That's the big thing you got to watch out for. Well, I've seen people, they just basically use the same locking pin, uh, but just in a second hole in order to make sure it was securely locked in place. And and that is a that's a standard uh, feature now with the new B model. Yeah, yeah, and Sonics even talked about that. They said, "Hey, we recognize a good idea when we see one," and so we've incorporated that as standard now. So, John, on your tip back canopy, how well does that work when you're taxiing around? For people that haven't maybe seen it, describe it. Well, typically, um, you know, the the tip back canopy when it's locked down, it's exactly like everybody else's. But when it, I can release both sides. And when I'm taxiing, I will release both sides and just let it float about an inch above the, uh, the, the, the uh, frame rail on the front. And that sucks in all the air I need to be taxiing. If I pop it all the way back in taxi, I can do that. Um, the problem is when you have to give it a little more uh, prop thrust, it will lift the canopy up on its frame and then drop it back down. So you got to be careful about that. But if you're just going to be taxing quietly, you can pull the whole canopy back and you've got, you know, you're just uh, open canopy at that time while you're taxing, which is unlike you able to swing over the canopy and you can't do that. Because it'll it'll probably rip it off. 
Yeah, sometimes I'll pop my canopy and and just hold on to it with my arm, kind of resting on the side rail. But you got to have a firm grip on it because if it gets away from you, it, it is. It's going to fling it open and, and you're going to break something. And the biggest thing I worry about with taxing with my canopy fully open is I have one of those uh, shades that you can pull over and it's in that airstream also. So I'm afraid that the fabric in the frame or the uh, shade is going to rip off of the canopy. So yeah, I, I tend to not taxi with my canopy completely open. And then the last thing which I've seen uh, that I think is a really cool thing, um, I know Bob Micah has one, Mark Kingman here in, um, in Kansas has one. They just make these additional uh, canopy braces. It's like a, a piece of bent metal that one end has a hook that goes down into the, the, the lingeron like the canopy hook does, and it, it attaches to the fuselage. And then it goes up three or four inches, and it has a, a notch in it for the canopy to, to hook into. So the idea is you open your canopy up six or eight inches, you put this brace in there, and it's all kind of skeletonized so air can flow through it pretty freely, and then you latch your canopy into the brace, and it holds the thing firmly six or eight inches open, and you get tons of taxi ventilation, and there's no chance of it coming loose because it's been locked in. That's a kind of a cool thing to, to consider also. All right, so with uh, with ventilation out of the way, I guess shifting gears over to heat in the cockpit for when it starts getting cold. Well, we might need to back up just one more little second. When we talk about keeping cool, we really need to start looking at that, too, uh, would be sunscreens and shades. We've alluded to it a little bit, uh, but there's a couple of different ways of doing it. I had a polished airplane, and so I can tell you the polish looks great. But it always, the sun always seems to find just the right angle to balance off the wing right into my eyes and continue to bake me. Uh, so some of those little slap-on, static, cling uh, sun guards uh, on each side of the lower part of the canopy worked uh, pretty well for, for blocking out some of that reflective sun off the wings. And they're easily uh, able to pull and, and shift as you're flying along or changing magnetic headings and you got to keep redoing that for a little while until the sun gets out of your way. Uh, so that's one thing to really work on, too. The second thing is is the, is the shades. And I'll go ahead and give a brand name because I used in mine, a lot of people did, too, is those Cogra sunshades that are on sliding rails. Uh, they're, they're fairly pricey, and they're in a neighborhood of like $250 a piece. Um, but basically, they use uh, adhesive sticks on the rail. So there's no drilling. You put that stuff on, and it's that very, very strong 3M type sticky tape that's going to stay in place. At least mine did for for quite a few years. I used it, and so being able to to draw that sunshade down over the canopy when you're going long distances, and you don't necessarily need the extra visibility like you might need to in the pattern, uh, goes a long way as well. Um, the, the third thing that I always recommend too, uh, aside from those little stick-ons as well as a sliding canopy. Um, really think about finding yourself some really nice flying shirts. In other words, when we're talking about long sleeve, uh, you might think it'd be hot in there, but I can tell you that long sleeve is going to be much cooler than having that sun bake your skin as you're looking for towels and everything else and charts to try to cover up your skin on those long cross-country flights. Yeah, Gary, the, the Cogar sunshades really are first class. And before I had one, 
I thought, eh, it it looks like a nice accessory, maybe a little pricey. I don't really need that. And so a couple of years went by and I finally got one. And now looking back on it, I love it. I would not give that thing up. It's worth every penny. So if anybody's on the fence, yeah. just go ahead and buy one. You're going to love it. Yeah. Kroger, yeah. Kroger sunshades are great. Yeah, and and following awesome. Gary's uh, idea with the uh, long sleeve shirts, when I've been, um, now that I'm getting into soaring, everybody in my soaring club wears long sleeve cotton uh, shirts. And I would suggest a darker color so it doesn't reflect up onto the canopy and back onto your instruments um, is another issue. Yeah, my favorite was a black shirt. And like I said, despite being black, it was so much cooler wearing that than it was having the direct sun on my skin. Yeah. So long sleeve shirts, dark color is, is actually cooler than anything else. All right. Well, switching gears over to heating and staying warm in the winter, uh, let's talk about the the best ways to do that. So, Gary, why don't you start us off? What did, what did you do for staying warm? Well, first of all, we got to go back and seal up all those vents we just opened up. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the more you can do to seal the cockpit, the better off you're going to be to start with. And then we can use some of the convective uh, uh, microwave action with that canopy from the sun to help warm us up as well. But we're probably going to need to go a little bit more. I, I don't know. I mean, I would typically go fly, and even when it was 30 degrees uh, back on the ground, I don't know if you guys have a cutoff limit on your on your temperature for flying, but uh, I would hit it when it was pretty cold. Um, I didn't do anything built in in my particular case. I've also been a, a motorcycle rider ever since I was like 15, so I've always had a motorcycle. And I finally... As I got older, gravitated to the heated motorcycle clothing, and that comes in a lot of different versions. Um, I actually have some that, if I want to get really, really serious with it, I can go from uh, heated socks to heated pants to heated vest to heated jacket to heated gloves, and they all interconnect like a CAN bus system. It has a, uh, a rheostat controller to it, and the system can plug into a 12-volt socket. Um, so you could use as much or as little of that stuff. And I found that I basically had to put it on the absolutely lowest setting and then still had to cycle it off to keep from sweating and getting too hot. Uh, so that stuff really can be very, very effective. It's usually very well insulated, uh, very heavy clothing. So it's kind of like a spaceman suit. But if you want to get real serious about flying in the wintertime, it was certainly one way to do it. And you can also get various versions of it that just battery operated too, but a lot of us put those 12 volt cigarette lighters in anyway for some of our accessory uh, avionics and everything else that we use. So it just plugs into the same same socket. Yeah, Gary, um, that's a good point too. Um, it may be that that is the simplest solution is just buy a standalone system and then you don't have to worry about modifying your airplane nearly as much. I guess going down that that path, one of the problems historically in the Sonics is trying to fit a heat muff on your engine. And specifically talking about the Jabru and the Aero-V. On the Aero-V, you do have a pretty large section of exhaust pipe, but you don't have a whole lot of heat to work with. And when the temperatures are mild out, you can get a pretty good, you know, warm air coming out your heat muff. But when the temperatures start to fall, it just, you know, you just can't extract enough heat to really make it good. And everybody I can think of that went through the effort to put in heat muffs on an Aero-V pipe they haven't been terribly happy with the with the performance of them. So, 
I guess if you're going to try it, you have to do everything right. You have to make your heat moth absolutely as large as you can possibly fit. You've got to slow the air down inside that heat muff. And, uh, and you got to seal up all the drafts in the cockpit. Otherwise, you're going to go through a lot of effort and you're not going to be happy with their end result. Well, Jeff, I'm, I'm one that put heat muffs in my Jabiru and I stuffed them with stainless steel, um, the Brillo pad without, you know, without any soap on it. So it, it's a, um, the, 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 the pot scrubbies, the pot scrubbies. And I put two of them in, put them in series, put blast air in from outside through it into my cabin. And it does work. You get warmth and it's nice. But after you then went to an electric seat, which I'm sure we're going to go into, um, I don't use it anymore. And in my new B model, I won't put, uh, put the heat muffs in. Yeah, um, that was kind of the next thing is uh, it's a lot of effort to put in a heat muff and it may not work the way you think it will. So why not take the easy way out and wear insulated clothing or heated clothing or get a yeah. $50 or $100 universal electric seat warmer kit off of Amazon and insert that into your upholstery. And those work really, really well. Combine that with a little bit of solar heating through your canopy. And uh, I find it very pleasant, you know, even down into the 30s and 40s. I've flown my plane down to 20 below zero and it, my feet got cold, but I still had the heat muff blowing lukewarm hot air onto them. So yeah, if I had the electric socks, I'd probably be fine. They're very nice. Yeah. Well, the seat warmer kit, um, <clears throat> I'll put a link in the show notes to the one I use. There, there are lots of them out there. Um, you can shop around on Amazon. But typically, if you get a carbon fiber heating element uh, with a high-low type of setting, you're going to be running about 2 to 3 amps on low, and this is per seat, and about 5 amps on high. And so even if you have both seats on high you know, at 10 amps, that is something that you can handle for a time, depending on how much power you're using out of your instrument panel and your alternator output. Uh, you can make that work. And I, I, I don't find any problem using my seat warmers. I don't use them on the ground when I'm idling because I'm draining my battery. But once I'm uh, at takeoff power, I can run them the entire flight and I never have any problem. And Jeff, you know, when I use them is when I'm uh, in warm up in the hangar on chargers to heat up my memory foam so the softer. Yeah, there you go. And your chargers is replenishing the battery, so no problem there. Yeah, that's a good that's a good idea as well. And uh, I guess the other alternative is just to go super low tech and uh, do like Bob Micah recommends and go to Walmart and buy a twenty dollar ski bib, and uh, you'll be pretty warm on a twenty dollar bib. So that's a viable option as well. Yeah, but you look like Bob Micah. <laughs> Well, he's uh, he has found some practical solutions. Uh, they may not be the most pretty, but they work pretty well. And then, uh, Gary, uh, you touched on this at the very beginning about sealing up all those drafts, uh, closing off your vents and things like that. Foam weather stripping, just the stuff you can get from Home Depot, the squishy uh, neoprene type foam. If you run a bead of that on your canopy, right where it attaches to the forward bow, there's that little aluminum lip that it rests on. You can kind of have the lip just catch the edge of that weather stripping. 
It's not sitting completely on the weather stripping. It's just catching the edge. And that will go a long way to keeping that cold air from blasting in the seam between the windscreen and the canopy. Keeping those drafts down is going to make all these things work a whole lot better. Yeah, I also found that by using some clear uh, polyurethane tape at the front leading edge of the windshield as it abuts the the frame there uh, around the engine firewall area, uh, and underneath the canopy. So it kind of went underneath the canopy, then just over the, the top lip of the windshield. And that cut down a lot of draft as well. And that sealed that area pretty well. Yeah, you definitely got to seal that front edge up because it, it will. You'll even see water get in there when you fly through rain. You got to do something to seal that forward edge. And then we've talked about this on, uh, on many of the other shows, the cross-country shows and things like that. You think that the back edge where the canopy rests up against the turtle deck is going to be a big problem because there's nothing there, but it is totally not a problem. People get all worried about that edge. Air is being pulled out of that edge, and so you're not going to have water drip in. Uh, you're not going to have cold air blowing on the back of your neck. If anything, you're going to have warm air being sucked out that edge. So don't don't look at that as an air intrusion point, but really as an exit point. Well, as a ceiling, because again, we talked about that 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 circle effect, the negative cockpit pressure stuff, and you would get a significant draft on the back of my neck coming from the aft fuselage. So again, whatever you might be able to seal up might prevent that return flow from the back side of the aft fuselage. Right, and if you're routinely flying in cold areas, you might consider making a block off plate a very lightweight, maybe an upholstered plate that you can kind of stick back in the tail cone that closes off uh, from behind the seat back into the tail cone and cut down that draft coming forward as well. And then from experience, uh, you will get air coming from underneath the seat pan. It will come out the control stick and it will come out the wing roots where your aileron push rods come in. So if you have your upholstery go all the way to the sidewalls, you have some sort of panel on the sidewall to keep the skin from from being cold to to the touch, and then you seal up your control sticks with a stick boot, you're going to cut down a, a, a great majority of the draft coming into your cockpit. Yep. Alrighty. Well, the last thing, the last category is the convenience items. So these are all those fun little things that uh, that just help you get done what you need to get done. And so the first thing, uh, I already talked about pockets. Put pockets wherever you can. Sew them into your upholstery on your sidewall. Even if it's just a spot to stick your checklist and your cell phone, it's going to be better than having your cell phone, you know, getting lost on the on the seat or trying to always stick it up on the glare shield where it might be sliding around. And then, Gary, you mentioned the front of the spar tunnel by the flap torque tube. I put a couple yep. of simple pockets there. They're sectional size pockets, and that's where I keep my paper sectionals. And I just reach down between my legs, and I can pull them right out of those pockets when I need them. So think about where you're going to put those pockets. It's going to, it's, you're going to use them all the time and they're going to be a real big benefit. What else? What other things um, really fall into the convenience category that, that people ought to consider doing? Hmm. Gary, you mentioned the 12 volt power outlets or possibly even putting in USB power supply outlets because again, we got all kinds of stuff to charge. Uh, I just recently did both in my new plane, but I got to tell you, because the power requirements for all of our devices are changing so frequently, you know, they started off being like 1.1 amps and they went to 2 amps, then 2.1, and now they're getting even even more and more power hungry. I think you'd be better off, even if you want more than one 12-volt cigarette lighter style, use those 
and then buy adapters to go from the cigarette lighter to the USB uh, because it seems like the power requirements are changing all the time and it's just so much easier to plug in another adapter than it is to go back and, and rewire all those those dedicated USB ports. Yeah, 12-volt cigarette lighter style plugs, um, they really have been a standard for decades. And you can pull 5 to 7 amps out of one of those without any problem. So you're right, you can just plug in a, an adapter for USB power. Well, plus you could you could plug your your C heaters into it, or your uh, transfer pump for your, uh, you know, fuel system. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Whatever. They're they're almost just universal. Or if you have to charge a battery, you can even charge them through your cigarette lighter if you need to. Yeah, lots of different things to use for them. But yeah, I would get rid of just the USB dedicated ones and go with twelve volt, and then use adapters. Yeah, I use um, a twelve volt cigarette lighter style plug on either side of my panel, so that you know there's one on the pilot side and one on the co-pilot side, and I use them both all the time. Uh, one comment: if you're going to use power adapters that plug in, you know, for like your USB, you may have to experiment and find one that doesn't create a lot of noise in your intercom. And uh, I know that. This is almost a, a black magic thing because every company has a different little algorithm that they use on their, their inverter, and uh, some of them are really noisy. So you may have to just uh, ask around and find one that works. Uh, the other thing which uh, I think is, is real nice is to have some way to pipe music into your intercom, whether that's XM radio or you're going to plug your phone in and listen to an episode of Sonic's Flight or whatever. Uh, put some sort of adapter so that you can you can jack it in and listen to music when you're trolling along and on your way to Oshkosh. Maybe yeah, and that I already have those incorporated though, where you can plug right into the headset, even if you don't want to go through the trouble of wiring it through the intercom. But then it's one person only. But again, for ninety nine percent of the time, we're only one person anyway. Yeah, I have both. I have Bluetooth through my uh, headset, and then I also have the ability to plug it in through my MGL uh, radio system. Mm -hmm. And we talked about water bottle holders on the spar tunnels. I know a lot of people have done that. That might be something you consider. I haven't found a really good place to put a cup holder on the panel. If anybody's got a good idea, they should share it with me. I guess if you uh, sit in the center seat, you can put it on either side of you. Yeah, What's well, that whole 12-pack? <laughs> the panel space is just way too valuable to put a cup holder on. Right. <laughs> no, sit center, and you can have uh, plenty of uh, – you can have a six-pack on either side. Yep, and armrests. Right. <laughs> uh, other things uh, which I like, um, I made up a canopy prop stick. Uh, I just took a, a fiberglass pole, and I made a couple of U-shaped fittings, one end – hooks onto the, the crossbow on the canopy itself. The other one wedges in there onto the, the, the restraining bolt for the, for the attachment cable. And uh, when the canopy is fully open, this thing just sort of wedges it in place so a gust of wind can't blow it closed and get away from you. And I keep that in the back. And I, I also keep a, a fuel dipstick just made out of a simple piece of wood that is calibrated in gallons so I can dip the tanks and, and see that. A, a, a canopy prop stick? I don't understand how that, how that works. Well, you open the canopy up, you know, so you flip it over to one side, and then you... No, wait, wait. You flip it over to one side? That's crazy. Why don't you just flip it back? Well, you know, uh, not all of us have that, that advanced technology. Yeah, there's a couple ways to do that canopy stick. I tried a couple of different versions, too. When I originally had the cable uh, that Sonics had already pre-swaged uh, attached from the canopy to the turtle deck, um, I found that I actually tried a very... Uh, 
thin piece of like PVC pipe, uh, cut a, a gouge right through the center of that pipe, like a, with a table saw or something like that. And you could slip that around that cable so it stayed in place. And that kind of acted as a, as a hold open break as well. Um, it's another piece of thing to carry around because it doesn't, you know, you got to throw it in the back or find some place to secure it. Uh, then I stole Jim Hickey's idea. And he has one posted on, I think it's on YouTube too, where it actually is already pre-attached and it just hooks in place. But it's the same kind of thing as after you open up canopy, you can unhook this, this brace bar and it pivots down and then locks into the turtle deck um, on basically a bolt kind of system. And so that locks it in place. When you finish with it, you just twist it and pivot it right back up and it attaches pretty much where that cross member is. Uh, from the canopy from, from side to side in the back there. It keeps it out of the way. So it's always handy and always available. And just flip it up, flip it down, lock it into the turtle deck. And that does a, that does a pretty good job too. But, boy, I would still never have that canopy try to lock open on a really windy day because no matter what you use, it's always securing it at the back. And that front is going gonna, is gonna to pick up a nice gust of wind with a sail and still really twist, crack, or rip that thing right off. So... It's only kind of for very, very light winds as you're kind of getting in and out and trying to put things in the plane just to keep the canopy from jamming down on you. But don't don't leave the airplane with those canopy braces in place thinking it's going to protect the canopy and keep it open. The other thing you might want to consider is um, your tie-down kit, your extra traveling tool kit, that extra quart of oil that you want to take, canopy, cover, all those little things. Where are you going to stow them? How are you going to keep them handy? Because it won't do you any good if you don't bring your tie-down kit and you got to park the plane uh, away from home. All right, that's everything on my list. Uh, what else? John, I know we missed something here. Oh, we, you know, we haven't talked about some of the biological issues. Um, yeah. And I don't know if you want to go down that path, but... Well, you know, now that I'm a, uh, a, a high-time uh, soaring pilot that uh, is breaking altitude records left and right, um, especially those of us who are over middle age, um, we have about a bladder of about two and a half hours tops. So how do we deal with going beyond that or if we're just bumping up to it? Um Anybody put a uh, pilot relief tube in? Are they using some sort of a, uh, uh, you know, adult diaper kind of thing? I mean, I've, I'm open for uh, suggestions here. No, the very worst case I've ever used is some of those gel packs, but that's been so infrequent um, that I, I don't really consider it a, a necessity for the range that our planes have. But, you know, in, in your case, John, I can see where we might need an exception, but for most of us, um, probably not so much of an <laughs> Gary, the only thing I can say is if you have never used one of those little gel packs, try it out in the hangar before you're actually flying because you may find that you just can't manipulate everything in the air. I want to, I, I do want to bring that up because I do carry a three pack of those that I bought from Aircraft Spruce and I have used one. And in the Sonics, there is very little room to maneuver your um, clothing to do the what you need to do to yeah, use tough. that. It's it's not like being in seven thirty seven. You can get up and stretch out. You've 
Got to figure out how to do this. Well, if you really want to get technical with this, I can tell you the medical stuff that you can use. <laughs> they actually make catheters called Texas catheters, which are like condoms that you can slip over, run a tube down your pants leg into a bag. Uh, no one will probably even know that you have it on. You can get out of the plane, go to the bathroom, open the little valve on the bag, drain it out, close the valve, walk right back to the plane, still wearing this thing, and you'd be good to go for your next job. Gary, most of our cross-country sailplane pilots use exactly that, but they don't use a bag. They dump it overboard. Yeah, well, you know, some of us are a little bit more eco-friendly on, on our uh, people that are flying over. <laughs> I know that's where you think the term peon means, but I don't think it was supposed to be taken quite so, <laughs> so literally. Well, I think uh, I, I don't. <laughs> yeah, I know. I don't think we can top that. I think that's the last word in in uh, in cockpit comfort is being able to <laughs> comfortably fly along and get heating and cooling as appropriate, and uh, to be able to pee on people on the ground as you go by. So that's it. I got nothing yes. else to add. All the condom catheters and bags. Go to your <laughs> local uh, medical supply store. They've got them on the shelf. <laughs> All right. Well, I will put some links to some of these things that we talked about, um, different venting options and the, the Koger sunshades and some other stuff like that. Just whatever whatever I can find, I'll throw in the show notes. You can go check that stuff out. And there. catheter supplies. Don't forget the catheter. Yeah, yeah I'll put a link to uh, catheter supplies so people who are really into it, they can uh, get only the best. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, um, hopefully this conversation will spark some ideas in people that are building. They'll be able to think through their own needs and requirements and be able to customize. And really, it's about not spending a lot of time chasing things that are not really going to be good solutions. So I hate to see people that are obsessing over the wrong things. So maybe this will give a, a perspective to help them zero in on what they really want. Well, uh, I just got one uh, one reminder, and that is the Firewall Forward installation seminar that we're going to be doing here in Kansas City. That is November 10th and 11th. We've already got a few people signed up for it. So if you want to come to the seminar, uh, go to the website. There's a link on there. It has all the details, and it'll be a good opportunity just to kind of go through in detail many of the things that we've talked about on the podcast about how to make a successful firewall forward installation for your Jabiru or your Aero-V. So if, if that's of interest to you, go check it out on the website and uh, send us an email and let us know. Guys, I hope that uh, you're able to get plenty of flying in. Uh, here, aside from a little bit of breezy afternoons, the weather has been gorgeous, and I am looking forward to getting out and enjoying a, a really nice fall. You know, actually, I, went, I did a little flying this past weekend. It was, it was two airport hot out in the mountains uh, with a buddy of mine and his plane. We went to Leadville, which some of you may know is North America's highest paved airport at about 9,600 feet. Uh, they had a nice little uh, pancake breakfast there run by the local EAA chapters. And then from there, we went a little bit further west to Rifle, Colorado. Uh, there's an FBO there called Atlantic. It looks like it's probably one of the national chains I'm not particularly familiar with. Uh, but the airport was gorgeous. The facilities were gorgeous. Um, and they had a free barbecue that was catered there with ribs and pulled pork and brisket. And they had pie, pies and cakes and donuts and drinks. 
<clears throat> all free and to top it off, uh, they did a fuel special for those who flew in for $2.50 a gallon for Avgas. That's the royal treatment right there. It, it nice. was absolutely a perfect day, very light winds, perfectly crystal blue sky. As we sat, as I got a rifle and I saw a bunch of the guys out, I says, you know, I hate to admit it, but this is really a tough life, isn't it? <laughs> it was just a gorgeous day. And they did a fantastic job, especially rifle. Well, good. Uh, hopefully everybody will ha- be able to get out there and experience uh, good fall weather, too. It's going to come and be gone before we know it. So get out there and exercise the airplane and enjoy it. All right, Gary, John, great talking to you. Um, for everyone else, the next episode, we are working on a couple of topics. We'll see which one uh, bubbles to the top first. One, we're going to talk with Mike Farley, our Sonics Builder and Pilot Foundation president. And we're going to get an update on how the Sonics Foundation is going, some of the new initiatives that are coming up. And uh, we're going to talk with Robert Helms at UL Power and talk about UL Power engine options for Sonics. So those are two really good topics that we'll be uh, looking forward to knocking out here very quick. You can find us on the web at sonicsflight.com. The show notes are at sonicsflight.com slash 44. As always, you can subscribe to the podcast. You can listen to the podcast directly off the website, or you can get it through iTunes, Google Play, or your favorite podcast app. Always like to get feedback. You can find that link on the website or send it directly to feedback at sonicsflight.com. And with that, like I said, get out there and enjoy that great flying weather. All right, guys. We'll see you next time. All right. Bye. The views and opinions expressed on the Sonic Flight podcast are those of the hosts and guests alone and do not necessarily reflect the views of any individual, company, or organization mentioned on this program. Nothing presented on this podcast should be construed to be the official position or recommendation of anyone not directly associated with Sonic's Flight. Anything that sounds like advice should be carefully considered before being implemented. Remember, you are the pilot in command.